being open source means anyone can independently review the code. If it was closed source, nobody could verify the security. I think it's essential for a program of this nature to be open source. Satoshi Nakamoto. Welcome to What Is Your Bitcoin Story podcast, where we explore the stories of people who make up the Bitcoin community. I'm your host, Gigi, and today we're excited to have a very special guest joining us, none other than Seed, the creator and leader of Seed Signer, a popular open source hardware wallet. Seed is a retired cop and DFIR examiner with a master's degree in organizational security management. He's also been a Bitcoiner since 2013, and he's passionate about helping people keep their Bitcoin safe. In this episode, we'll talk to Seed about his journey into Bitcoin, his work on Seed Signer, and his thoughts on the future of Bitcoin security. Welcome, Seed. It's a great pleasure to have you on the show today. Hey, I appreciate the invite. I'm excited to talk. <laughs> Likewise, the, the pleasure is all mine. So let's get started with, uh, with your journey into Bitcoin. Um, where does your Bitcoin rabbit hole journey begin? So I've, I've told this story before, but I first heard about Bitcoin at work. So I was, as you mentioned, uh, a police officer in the majority of my career. I was a cop for 15 years. The majority of my career was spent in a digital forensic lab, taking apart phones and computers and doing examinations on evidentiary devices to determine if they were involved in a crime or if they could support or refute a criminal allegation. And I actually heard about Bitcoin at work. For the first time, there was uh, another examiner in the forensic lab who was He'd been assigned this case that involved a local kid who was in high school, and instead of using a very expensive gaming computer that he'd been given by his, given by his parents as a gift, uh, he was mining Bitcoin at the time. This was like late 2012 or early 2013, kind of at the tail end of when you could still competitively mine Bitcoin with GPUs. So he's mining Bitcoin, mm. and he would order marijuana on the Silk Road and have it delivered to his house, and then he would break it into smaller packages, take it to work. I'm sorry, not take it to work, take it to school. And uh, he was he was selling it, making you know a tidy little profit. But of course, the teachers, the administrators at school eventually found out and called the police and they took his computer. And that's kind of what brought it onto my radar was this other guy at work was working on this case and he said it involves this thing called Bitcoin that you know I, I don't understand. I've never heard of it, blah, blah, blah. And that's what sent me to, to the you know search engine on the internet and I just started trying to figure out what is this Bitcoin thing. Well, I, I, I guess this is not the first story where where the dark web, essentially the, the dark side of, of the web, um, was the entryway down the rabbit hole. And, and then I guess with, with your work today with, with Seed Signer, how, how did you come about creating the Seed Signer? Part of it is wrapped up in my backstory. So I, I consider my Bitcoin backstory as kind of a, a play in two acts. And the first act is, as I mentioned, first hearing about Bitcoin at work and going down the rabbit hole. I've heard it said that, that Bitcoin is a reflection of who you are or where you are in your life. And at that time, I was a young father with uh, a large mortgage and a lot of bills to pay. So I was looking for investments. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I saw Bitcoin, I primarily thought of it uh, during the first several years as you know some kind of investable asset that over time seemed like uh, it was going to go up in value. And so for the first several years, you know, I, I bought some Bitcoin, did some mining and trading and other, you know, everybody tries mining and trading and everything until they realize that, that either buying or earning Bitcoin is really the way to do it, unless you have some sort of edge in one of those other two areas. So I bought some Bitcoin in 2013, 
and mined some Bitcoin and held that through this long bear market of 2014, 2015, into 2016. And then in 2017, the Bitcoin I, I held had appreciated substantially. And I had the opportunity to, if I legitimately sold all the Bitcoin and paid taxes that I owe on it, for better or for worse, uh, I was able to pay off the mortgage on the house and essentially start a new debt-free life for my family. And at the time, the whole kind of network and ecosystem are going through what some people refer to as the, the fork wars. Bitcoin Cash was splitting off and Bitcoin's Satoshi's vision. And there was a lot of uncertainty at the time. I thought that with these different coins splitting off, the larger Bitcoin network may have lost some of its network effect and that, you know, none of these coins would essentially win because they just kept splitting off. So it it, it seemed like the, the danger of never forgiving myself to live a debt-free life because uh, some geeks on the internet were arguing about parameters and software. One day I had just a tragic uh, weekends experience and sold everything very awkwardly. And this was early in 2017. So I didn't want to hear about Bitcoin for the rest of the year because the price just kept going up and up and up. There were It, it ended up multiples higher of, of where I had, I had sold it. So one other thing that it also paved the way for me now that you know our family's kind of debt free was that we could consider kind of reorganizing as a stay-at-home household. So I had the opportunity mm. to, uh, after 15 years of my job, to step away and be a stay-at-home dad. My wife continued working. So I started focusing on transitioning out of my career and making sure you know, I, I was in the right mental place to be planning to be a stay-at-home dad. As you know, so I didn't think about Bitcoin, or at least try not to, for the rest of 2017, and then probably early to mid 2018, it's like it creeped back into my mind space, and I started listening to some of the same podcasts, and I started peeking at Twitter. It, it just kind of crept back in. So everybody <laughs> gets Bitcoin at the price they deserve it at. I started uh, as I'm exiting my career, I start buying some Bitcoin as it sort of bottoms out, and the price starts to maybe stabilize. As I'm coming out of my career, I start thinking more about cold storage and whether my cold storage setup could have contributed to the weekends experience that I'd had in 2017. And moving forward, as I'm trying to accumulate more Bitcoin than I had before, I'll never have as much again. It's it's all less purchased back at, at significantly higher prices. I, I started thinking about whether my cold storage setup had possibly contributed to a lack of confidence in what I was doing with Bitcoin. I started thinking about some of the things that I'd learned while I was doing digital forensics and whether or not they could be brought to bear on arriving at a cold storage setup that I would be more comfortable with. So I started just re researching more about cold storage and I came across a podcast that Stefan Lavera had done with a, a security researcher called Michael Flaxman. Uh, Michael Flaxman has written this guide called the 10x bitcoin security guide and in it he talks about multi-sig and he talks about at the time it was a, a new software tool that was available called specter wallet and specter wallet was one of the first sort of average bitcoiner facing tools that you could use to create uh, a multi-signature wallet and that was one of the things that appealed to me given my background was this idea of being able to split up the secrets that 
provide access to your Bitcoin and put them in different places physically. So I started, uh, I went through Michael Flaxman's guide, which honestly is still evergreen and there's still a ton of value in it, even though it was written a few years ago. It's, it's hosted on GitHub. If you just do a, a web search for 10x Bitcoin security guide, GitHub, you probably find it very easily. Another thing that I think he talked about in the guide, or maybe it was as a result of looking into Spectre wallet a bit more, but they also had a hardware wallet project that could be built from off-the-shelf parts that they were developing kind of in tandem with Spectre wallet. And I have a little bit of a technical background, so I bought the parts and put one together. Learning how to use the Spectre DIY is what it's called. It's still under development. It's still a great tool. Learning how to use that was a revelation for me in terms of uh, cold storage and access to multi-sig. And the other kind of innovative thing about Spectre DIY was that it used animated QR codes to move Bitcoin transaction information between Spectre Wallet, which was their software that was connected you know, to the internet and the larger Bitcoin network. And then the Spectre DIY that was intentionally an offline device that did not connect to the internet and was just really intended for interacting with private keys. And so uh, I started interacting with uh, the guys at Spectre who were very generous with their their time and expertise, especially their lead developer at the time, who was, uh, his name's uh, Stepan Snigarev. I started uh, interacting with Michael Flaxman as well. And Flaxman had an idea for using a Raspberry Pi Zero. It's a smaller version of the Raspberry Pi, a very specific yeah. version that didn't have uh, wireless connectivity and an idea for using that to create private keys. You would attach like a little screen and some finger controls to it, and you would be able to generate private keys offline in a very private and secure way. And so I kind of took that idea that he had and tried running with it. And after I'd gotten sort of a basic minimum viable product where it was just some clumsy code that let you input seed words and like calculate the last word of a seed phrase for you. I realized that if I attached a camera to this thing, it would be sort of the functional equivalent of a Spectre DIY, uh, but at a much lower price point. And being a cheapskate as well, uh, <laughs> I you know got a cheap camera and started experimenting with that. And that's essentially the the backstory of how Seed Signer came to be. And after that, had some numerous wonderful collaborators that have pitched in and helped bring the project to where it is today amazing no definitely i i agree with you i, I mean the, the fact that you made essentially the seed signer accessible well a, a low investment um open source cold storage it, it does kind of open up the gates for for people to go ahead and get it you know instead of you know the, the more high-end street wallets from i'm not going to name the competitors but you know they're in the hundreds of dollars and, and not everybody's you know willing to to pay so much to, to keep their bitcoin safe even though it is a logical move but it's a nice kind of alternative for people especially you know people that are more technical such as yourself that want to build something themselves and you know trust just themselves they don't want to be you know leaving any traces on online but amazing i mean with, with your then technical uh, background and, and and your experience with c-signer over the years uh, maybe a good question I wanted to ask you, Seed, is what, what are some of kind of common mistakes that people make nowadays with regards to securing their Bitcoin? If I can come back to what you were saying about the the seed center and the low price, sure, and then I'll I'll jump into common mistakes. What I also wanted to emphasize what was really important about the Spectre DIY and the seed center's approach was that uh, seed center, especially 
makes no effort to store your private key. In fact, we go out of our way not to store your private key. So that mm. was sort of a major innovation of Spectre DIY as well as Seed Signer. Um, you could use Spectre DIY in kind of two modes. One where it would, where it was uh, engineered not to remember your private key, and then I believe they would store it as well potentially. But I really focused on the stateless aspect of it not remembering your private key because for multi-sig, like you're, you were talking about hardware wallets being, you know, some of them being costly, and yeah. even to do just a simple multi-sig, of course, you would need multiple hardware wallets, so two or three at a minimum. And now you're jumping up from that, you know. One to two hundred dollar range up into multiple hundred dollars, just to be able to experiment with multi sig and mm. get a sense of whether or not it's a solution that you could have confidence in, or that would work for your specific needs. Seed Signer, you know, takes the the n- nominal cost of creating and using a new private key basically to zero. It's just the time it takes you to pick words out of a hat or roll dice fifty <laughs> times. Or even snap a photo. That's another feature we have is to create a private key using entropy from a photo. So with this ability to create and work with seemingly a limitless number of private keys, you can really begin experimenting with multi-sig, you know, a two of three, a three of five, whatever whatever you like, and start out with one on testnet, publish the details, even if you like, you know, as long as it's testnet coins and you're not you're not putting anything at risk and then if it feels good, throw those keys away, create some new ones using the method of your choice and create what you know is a more long-term sustainable solution for you. So the, a key aspect of the value proposition is bringing down the cost of using private keys because hardware wallets, um, I, think they, they, I think we're going to see a directional shift in this, but up until this point, hardware wallets are generally like a one key uh, per one device <clears throat> sort of proposition. And so the statelessness aspect of not remembering the key and you know having users store that rather in an analog form kind of turns that upside down. But back to your question about common mistakes uh, with cold storage. I think the most common mistake is probably that every, I personally have this in my personality too, a kind of put all your eggs in one basket approach. Yeah. And I think that people think that if they're going to have, you know, cold storage, it all has to be in kind of one Bitcoin savings account or one sort of wallet, if you will, that you work with. When we all have different use cases for Bitcoin, I generally like to break them down into like three use cases. There's like walking around money, like you'd have mm-hmm. in a traditional like physical wallet in your pocket. There's more of like a checking account that you use for, you know, maybe a few times a month for a little bit bigger purchases. And then there's a savings account that is kind of your, I'm saving should, you know, some sort of misfortune befall me or my family, or, you know, if I don't end up needing these savings for any kind of emergency, I'd love to be able to, you know, purchase a better house or open a business or do things that could be more life-changing in a matter of years. So splitting up, the tools that you use for these different Bitcoin storage use cases, I, I think is important and not just to have this all your eggs in one basket kind of mentality. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Because if, if if you lose access to that one wallet, then essentially th- those coins are, are gone forever. And 
I really like this analogy see, that, that you use have, having these three concepts of, you know, having your everyday spend, like the physical wallet and then your checking account and then your savings. Or I, I like to call my, my, my hodl stash, my retirement fund and essentially my, my kids fu- future spending money. It, it's, yeah. it's definitely a, a better way to go um, and not have everything in, in one place as we know a lot of people that have done that early on and, and now are regretting that decision. And how about if we talk about now more on, on kind of the, the Bitcoin layer itself, what, in your opinion, Seed, do you think are, are some of the biggest threats to, to Bitcoin security today? Is, is your question more geared towards individual keys that people hold or more to the larger Bitcoin network? The larger Bitcoin network. I really, um, I think the over-financialization of Bitcoin and traditional sort of fiat institutions the way that they approach and handle Bitcoin, I think, is a threat in terms of diluting the value of the network. I worry about Bitcoin going the same way that gold did mm. in the way of um, the, the friction with gold is that it's, of course, difficult to acquire, transport, custody, verify, all of those things. So when people wanted exposure to gold as an asset to preserve their purchasing power or save to the future, Especially over the last hundred years, people tend to just buy redeemable coupons for gold in the form of an ETF or some sort of other financial instrument. And of course, unless you know it can be somehow mandated that these instruments are backed one to one, you know, for a dollar's worth of gold is you know a dollar's worth of redeemable gold certificates. That's originally how currency you know in the U.S. dollar began, and of course they veered off course. But even, you know, these ETF uh, instruments that are supposed to give you exposure to the price of gold, no one really knows if they're held one to one. And then if you get into the uh, financialized instruments on top of those that are just contracts for difference that allow people to essentially bet on the future price of gold or any other asset, a lot of these mechanisms sort of sop up organic demand for the underlying asset. And I I think that is a danger to really diluting Bitcoin's potential to grow into a global asset that really moves the needle and, and starts becoming a more important tool for large corporations and individual sovereign nations to start financially relating to one another. So I that's why I think this foundation of cold storage is so important that everyone from corporations to sovereign nations to small businesses to individuals <clears throat> take custody of their funds and hold private keys. Because the more people hold keys, the more it prevents some of these dilution games that financial institutions can play to expose people to the price appreciation of Bitcoin without actually holding the underlying asset. Hopefully I explained that in a way that, that makes sense. <laughs> no, no, you, you, you sure have. And, and, and I like that. I finally have, have a guest on the show that, that that's not euphoric over this few months that we've had this, this speculation about the, 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 the BlackRock ETF and Vanguard and, and all these big boys at wall street pushing their, their, their ETF approvals. Cause everybody seems to, you know, kind of, be thinking, oh, this is fantastic for, for Bitcoin. But from what I'm sensing from your end, you're kind of, you're a little bit skeptical with what could happen to the future of Bitcoin if, if this gets approved and essentially it, it, it could undermine the, 
the main reason for what Bitcoin was, you know, created for to 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 give people self sovereignty and you know a peer to peer means of, of of payment. Right. If I can put on my optimistic hat, what I'm hoping <laughs> is that because Bitcoin is a much more you can prove that you custody it and the Bitcoin that you custody is authentic because it's yeah. it's much more easily verifiable in that way. I, I hope that will keep some of these financial instruments a little more honest because, you know, I people are going to hold Bitcoin in a variety of different ways and individual choice and personal responsibility. I am 100% on board with that. You know, I, I'm a middle-aged guy. I'm blessed to have my parents still with me in my life. My parents are probably not going to hold their own private keys. I know it may hurt some people to say that, but <laughs> I, I, my parents have asked about buying Bitcoin. And my first step would probably be to push them to some sort of custodial platform just to buy a little bit and just to, to plant the seed and start um, giving them the experience of, quote, owning some Bitcoin. Maybe they do eventually hold their private keys, but not everyone is going to hold their private keys. It's it's unfortunate. But if we can create this this culture of self-custody that promotes that as the norm instead of the exception, I think that's a huge cheat code. What I'll also say with, with regard to the optimistic hat reference is that some of these ETF vehicles will act as a kind of gateway drug to mm. the actual uh, ownership and possession of Bitcoin because they, as they say, like where your money goes, your mind follows. So somebody who puts some money in, into an ETF and maybe over the course of months or even better years appreciates some sort of financial experiences, some sort of financial appreciation with that, they're probably going to start taking a closer look at Bitcoin and thinking a little harder about what's the real value of this asset. And the closer you look, the more you realize that the the value of Bitcoin is the ability to hold the asset. And, you know, all of us holding Bitcoin and operating nodes, the, the value of that is that governments around the world can't print more Bitcoin to dilute the value of it. And so anyhow, like, like what I'm trying to get at is maybe these ETFs are a gateway drug for people to really understand and appreciate the asset more and eventually make the move from holding Bitcoin on a custodial platform to holding a portion or all of their Bitcoin like themselves. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, 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 there's, there's two sides of that coin, right? And on, on one hand, I mm -hmm. mean, with ETFs, you know, people thinking if I buy an ETF, I'm, I'm holding Bitcoin. It's, it's definitely not, not it. It's a simple, simple IOU, right? It's, it's, as you said, a, essentially a contract for difference and, and, and speculating on the price. Um, and, and who knows what will happen with, with, you know, the custodian solutions that, that these, you know, big financial institutions use. Cause as we've seen from the history of Bitcoin, the rug pulls really, really do happen. And, and, you know, I don't know, for, for example, for BlackRock, there's discussions of Coinbase holding it, but, you know, what is the reassurance that, you know, Coinbase doesn't go tomorrow, goes down and, and then essentially, you know, everybody's undermined and, and it kind of pushes people away from Bitcoin instead of in the first place, if they would be holding it um, in their own custodial solution, there is no undermining or, or trusting a certain institution, you know, to, to keep your Bitcoin safe. But I guess for the big financial players, I mean, I, I, I don't see them, you know, ha having their seed signer or, or whatever hard wallet, <laughs> hard wallet dev device, you know, and, and going, hey, 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 Rodney, I, I need your device, you know, to, to multi-sig it. So I guess 
different different demographics need different solutions but I want to go back to 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 something you mentioned with with your parents as an example ho- holding you know Bitcoin and then essentially buying it one day. What would be your advice essentially for younger generations who, who are looking you know to, to get started with Bitcoin security and especially Generation Z, which which are making up most of the global population? What is one piece of advice or or multiple up to you, Seed, that you want to leave them with? The difference, obviously, between the kind of people you're describing and my parents, the difference between those those different age groups is that on the younger side, these people have grown up in a world where they've never lived without the internet. And increasingly, these days, they've never lived without one of these amazing supercomputers that you can carry around in your pocket that we all know <laughs> as mobile phones. Yeah. Um, so I think just for for younger people just dive in download a wallet you don't have to move you know your life savings into bitcoin or operate on a bitcoin standard from day one just download a lightning wallet even if it is gasp a custodial lightning wallet if that's what gets people started that's that's where the least friction is and that's how we're going to give people instant exposure to what it is to hold bitcoin and to be able to send tiny bits of value to the far side of the earth near instantaneously at the minimal uh, cost. But for young people, like start out with that custodial lightning wallet if you have to, or even better, start out with something like a Phoenix wallet that makes some of the costs of moving Bitcoin around a little bit more transparent and gives you uh, the opportunity to hold the secrets that underlie that money yourself on your phone. And Bitcoiners, I think, as they become more, as they become more interested in and curious about Bitcoin, they're going to move along this sort of self-custody spectrum where, you know, maybe I, I feel like I have a little bit too much money in that Lightning wallet. So maybe I move mm. it to a hot wallet on my phone. And then it's, it feels like a little bit too much money for a hot wallet. So I want to research what this cold storage stuff is. And then they'll either buy a harder wallet or, you know, try a seed center or some one. sort of other <laughs> or build a seed center or some other sort, <laughs> sort of uh, stateless signing device. And then they become curious about multi-sig. And so it, as you start to interact with Bitcoin more, not just in terms of interacting with the Satoshis, but your mind starts to interact with Bitcoin more. It, it I think, becomes more precious and more valuable to you. And so you, you'll tend to want to seek out uh, better ways to safeguard it. I like it. Uh, I like what you were saying that it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a stepping stone journey. You, you, you don't j- jump in straight away to the hard wallet from, from the get go, but kind of, you know, t- testing your feet with custodial solutions and then perhaps even a, a hot wallet on, on your phone or, or, or your PC. And then finally, you know, getting to, to, to the whole, to, to the essentially end goal, which, which is cold storage and, and essentially having, the most security you could have, but then on the topic of, that's, of seed that's, time, yeah. well, I was just going to say that's that's the magic of Bitcoin. Like we do have ways to move value. Venmo and PayPal aren't ubiquitous globally, but like the innovation of of Bitcoin, the real innovation is not necessarily moving money, you know, in tiny amounts across the world. The real innovation is being able to safeguard value for the future and to be able to transact with people at uh, a size um, that no one can tell you you can't move that much money or no one can say you can't send money to this person 
Um, yeah. Or when the government decides that you shouldn't have as much money as you have, uh, Bitcoin may be the first asset on earth that allows you to take that Bitcoin with you to your grave if you so choose to. <laughs> so it's there's all of these these uh, innovations, but I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, to jump away there. No, 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 for sure. Yeah, I, I think you, you touched upon a, a very important point. This this permissionless, you know, feature of, of Bitcoin is is super important, especially this the world that we live in today. I mean, with with all these financial regulations and all these AML five directives and anti money laundering and terrorist financing, which I think the government is just just taking it way too far and. You know, in some parts of the world, just just based on 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 what citizenship you have, you know, restricting you to send money to whoever you mm-hmm. want is 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 pretty crazy. And and essentially, try today. I mean, even in the U.S., for example, try wiring someone, um, you know, a hundred thousand dollars to 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 someone in in Europe. That money, that transaction is not going to go through. They're going to be asking you about from A to Z questions, and you're going to have to be proving stuff and. I mean, it's 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 kind of draconian, and the same thing goes as you mentioned with gold. If you want to be, you know, traveling, you know, you, you want to take a kilo, two kilos of gold with you in the airport. I mean, you're not going to get very far. There's going to be a lot of questions, and most probably they're going to just confiscate it from you there there on the spot. Uh, but then with Bitcoin, right. I mean, you can be traveling anywhere, and you can have a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin in your pocket, or even you know, just a seed phrase in your mind, and and nobody can you know tell you where you can spend it, where you can use it. So I think that's that's one big fascinating feature that as we you know go further into this essentially draconian financial system where everything is restricted and I think the big pivotal moment will be when the CBDCs come into action and when people really see the full control that the government wants to have over your spending habits. Um, I mean, at that point, then and kind of Bitcoin is the only inevitable way to to unplug yourself from the system and you know really have your self sovereign money that you can spend wherever you want whatever point yeah so we we really could use like a little bit more disobedience in this world um <laughs> the ju- just by and large technology has made it so much easier for governments to exert widespread surveillance and control over individuals and no country really at this point i don't think does it better than china yeah and i that's just not a world that that i want my children or my children's children to to be in so we all really do have a responsibility in my humble opinion to, to push back against governments you know be it in the united states or in europe or elsewhere at this point yeah i, I couldn't agree more um, and, and now on the, on, on the topic, so so going to to your baby, the, the seed signer. Um, I'm interested to ask you, seed. So, what are you currently working on at seed signer? Is is there some exciting things that 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 are that are happening under the hood? What's next for seed signer? What is next for seeds? Um, we're we're kind of refining the platform at this point. Over the last year, we've really made a leap forward in terms of last 12 to 18 months, we've really refined and improved the platform to the point that it's really approachable for people who have, you know, who aren't technical experts at Bitcoin, who, you know, aren't fluent in all the, the technical concepts um, that underlie the Bitcoin network. We have, over the last 18 months, we've implemented a new user interface. 
that I have to give a shout out to. There's a, a NIM called Easy UXD who uh, that's his day job is that he's a UI UX designer and comes up with these ways to create iconography and workflows and language that make technology much more intuitive and less difficult for people to interact with. And he's been very generous with his time and expertise with our project. Um, so we've upgraded our UX in such a way that it's um, much more visually appealing, but it's also much more intuitive in terms of the iconography and mm. uh, the workflows that users use to interact with the seed center. Um, over the last 12 months, we've implemented what is called seed center OS, which was a leap forward for the project in terms of security in the, the first initial versions of the project, because I am, um, not a coder and not a deeply technical person from a Linux admin perspective. Uh, the initial versions of Seed Center used a stock operating system that is produced by Raspberry Pi that is designed, um, you know, to run the Raspberry Pi uh, computers that they produce. And over the last 12 months, a couple of key contributors have helped us create a purpose-built Linux custom Linux distribution, that's what I'm trying to come up with, that mm. is built from the ground up just to be a seed signer or run on the hardware that you run seed signer on. So it takes this huge general purpose operating system that we were using from Raspberry Pi that's literally measured in gigabytes and brings it down to the, the latest releases of seed signer uh, are between, I believe, 30 and 40 megabytes. So wow. literally an order of magnitude smaller of reducing the attack service and reducing, you know, if someone wants to audit code, it makes it a much more, it makes it a much more approachable sort of prospect. What this also makes it easier for people to do is uh, if they would like to build their own releases, it's, just, it's, you still have to be relatively technical to build your own release, but it's, it's a, it's not as much of a, a lift as it was. And in our most recent release, we introduced what's called reproducibility to our uh, software. And what that means is that prior to this latest version, which has a version tag of 0.7.0, prior to that, I would create these releases you know, in the privacy of my home, and I would load our software into the um, Linux kernel that we use for the release, I would, you know, verify everything's functional and working. <clears throat> Pardon me, and then I would hash the software and put out a hash to the world and say, you know, for this particular release of Seed Center, this is the official release. But unless people are building their own software, which I said is a little bit more technically cumbersome, unless people are building their own software, they're essentially trusting me that I'm not building some sort of malicious functionality into the signer that, you know could backdoor. attempt attempt to create some sort of backdoor um, malintended function. With mm. reproducibility, when I produce a seed signer release um, you know, at home on my MacBook, someone else can do it in a far corner of the world on a Linux machine and produce the entire operating system. And it will be, you know, as long as everything goes correctly, which we've had great results with it, it will be a bit-for-bit bit copy of the software that I produce, such that if I hash my release and they hash the release that they've produced, they both produce the same hash. So it's no longer requiring that people have this trust, you know, that I'm vouching for 
all of the the libraries and underlying you know functionality in our code. Um, other people can build directly from the source code and verify that the releases that I'm kind of putting out there and blessing as being the official release are in fact an accurate representation of the code that's in our repo and the open source libraries that we rely on. So that was a huge leap forward for Seed Signer. This may sound like a sort of a, a superficial thing, but just within the last month or two, there's been a new, uh, before I get too far from it, I, I do want to say there's a couple people online, Disobediente Tecnologico, he's also a NIM, uh, who is kind of the father of Seed Signer OS. He's the person who did the heavy lifting just to make it a real thing. And then one of our uh, other contributors, his name's Nick, he's the lead maintainer. He took the kind of initial versions of Seed Signer OS and did all the heavy heavy lifting to make reproduce, reproducibility possible. So the collaboration between those two individuals to get to our own custom Linux distribution that underlies our code cannot be understated. And then in terms of the UI and the underlying functionality, I also have to mention Keith McKay, who's our lead developer, who has, he is uh, an amazing Pythonista who our, our code is in Python and that's his mm-hmm. language of choice. And he has built our code base into one of the, the uh, most technically sound and uh, approachable code bases, I think, that are out there in not just the Bitcoin ecosystem, but in FOSS in FOSS in general. But I digress. I, I just wanted to make sure because Seed Center is not just me. There's a lot yeah. of people who have who have contributed their time and their expertise, and all of us working together have brought this to where it is today. So back to what I was getting at. Um, up until a few months ago, the enclosures that you could acquire, you know, to hold the the three basic uh, computer parts that make up a seed signer together, were all 3D printed. Hmm. And myself, as well as several other people in different parts of the world, have invented different enclosures with slightly different features, but their basic uh, their basic purpose is just to hold these parts together and make the device easier to interact with and that it doesn't you know, get damaged if you drop it or, or that sort of thing. And for a period of time, it felt like the quality of our software had gotten to the point that it sort of was outshining the external manifestation of the seed center because you have this very elegant, capable, intuitive software that's kind of held in this plastic case. And a lot of the plastic cases are quite nice and do a great job. I've designed a few, so I, 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 and I'm proud of the work that I've done. Anyhow, what I'm getting at is a couple months ago, <clears throat> another NIM. If you're sensing a, a pattern, there's a lot of NIMs involved in our yeah. project, but a NIM <laughs> who is a French watchmaker. Wow! Uh, created this absolutely gorgeous, uh, anodized, machined aluminum seed center enclosure that makes seed signer look much more like an apple product than it does like something that you you know printed in your basement and it may sound like a a minor sort of detail but as we've been able to put more of these quote premium seed signers into people's hands it really does make it feel more like a finished product it it no longer feels like a diy sort of thing that that you built yourself 
and the quality of the external device and the quality of the software feel like they can be on par with one of these cases. Disclaimer, you absolutely don't need one of these cases. Print a case yourself. It'll look great. A lot of people even don't even have an enclosure and they'll use tape or <laughs> all sorts of other things to hold their seed cider together. Those are kind of the, the hardcore sort of naked ciders. But um, that's the, the most recent thing is, is these beautiful milled aluminum enclosures that the creator, who's a NIM called Monero Time, that's an interesting sort of intersection of free and open source software and the kinds of collaboration that it can that it can inspire. But because our software is licensed under MIT, which is one of, if not the most permissive software license out there, mm-hmm. there is a fork of Seed Signer called Monero Signer that the Monero community is trying to create to basically, you know, do the same thing that Seed Signer does for Bitcoin, but with Monero. And this individual, uh, this NIM, who's called Monero Time on Twitter, uh, was so excited about this Monero Signer project. And he had the the skills and the uh, equipment to create these beautiful enclosures. He started creating them. And the you, you really can't, proof of work is like undeniable. And after seeing just photos of these things, you could tell that he has just a tremendous craftsmanship and uh, expertise in what he's doing. And they became very popular with Bitcoiners, maybe even more so than they are in the Monero community. So he has very graciously kind of started producing these in quantity and making them available to different resellers in Europe and the United States so far. But hopefully we'll see them in other parts of the world, too. I I don't want to overemphasize that, but it, it really is neat to see other people sort of riffing off of what you've built to create kind of new and exciting directions it's it's really the Amazing. beauty of open source it is and and and, and he, hearing essentially how you've been blessed with, with with so many beautiful minds you know making seed signer what it is today and and i'm sure there's a lot more to come and as you said you know with, with the latest developments with with, with the interoper- interoperability um and verifiability and and of course this this cosmetic touch of, of having you know a, a nice aluminium you know high grade case even though it doesn't do nothing for for the security itself but there are some people you know like like the apple fanboys that you know buy apple j- just because it looks beautiful and and i think the same case applies to to, to hardware wallets some people might not you know want a three printed you know essentially pl- plastic small small seat signer so it does open up um a, a whole gateway to to a whole new demographic of of, of users which which sounds very exciting and, and congratulations on, on all the latest developments yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's, it's been a it's been a very interesting ride because I've Seed Center has been my first <clears throat> open source project. I'm not a coder, you know. I kind of binged Udemy videos to learn just enough Python to create the first proof of concept versions, and mm. so it's been a, a wild ride for me in terms of you know this is my first time leading, much less creating an open source project and working with so many other talented people who recognize the value in the core idea, but then bring their own skills to bear to move that basic idea forward in different ways based on their skill set and their interests. It's, it's been a, 
a very interesting organic experience that sort of is the kind of thing that can reignite your faith in humanity. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. Which is hard nowadays, but, but it's nice that, that we still do have some things that, you know, makes us prosperous and, and optimistic about the future uh, that, that holds for us. Perfect. Right. And, and, and I guess, um, see, let, let me ask you essentially a, a closing question, which I'm interested to hear from your uh, side of view. What do you predict? What, what's, what does the future hold for, for Bitcoin? T taking out the, the ETF narrative that, that we discussed, how do you see the evolution of Bitcoin in the next 5, 10, 15 years? I see it as just this organic mechanism that is uh, organic organism. I guess that's probably a better term. <laughs> uh, this organism that is just slowly and pervasively growing becoming up, becoming more known to people and a bigger part of their lives over time. Because ideas matter, and Bitcoin is just better money in so many different ways. And as people experience that, I think maybe Bitcoin will be a sort of trickle up technology that it's maybe first adopted more by individuals. But then as it becomes more normalized by individuals, I think we see Bitcoin becoming having more of a role in, you know, businesses and churches and civic organizations and then ultimately governments that's what i'm hoping to see and it's it, this is something that will play out not just over even the next 10 or 15 years but if it's uh if it's truly going to happen it's you know this is a multi-decade thing and that is that is the future that i'm hoping for and that uh if we're right i think that's what we're going to see i i hope so too seed well at the, at the time of this recording, it's it's essentially Halloween day today, and more importantly, it's 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 the 15, 15 year anniversary of of Satoshi Nakamoto blessing us and, and sending out the the white paper email to 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 all the early cypherpunks, and it's incredible to see how far we've we've managed to get in in mere fifteen years, which is which is not even a bleep in 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 the history of of humankind, and and who knows what the next fifteen years hold. But I truly, you know, I, I hope like you do. That that you know it will help prosper humanity in, in a better way and and you know make people and institutions whatever they may be religious governmental businesses uh, just overall better 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 companies better people um, and just have a better future which which I think is very needed in 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 the current very abnormal times that that we live in and that's the crazy thing is um, because we're living in these abnormal times and and basically because we haven't known much of anything else unless you've been alive for you know, a pretty substantial period of time all of this seems normal to so so many people and the 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 system is going to break at some point and it will be nice for culture and society to return more to historical norms that have been more pervasive over the greater arc of human history. The, the, these these are crazy times that we are living in, and it's becoming more and more apparent. I just hope that the shift back to some sort of stability is not too tragic. I guess um, I don't want to see another world war. I don't want to see you know 
rampant poverty. So let's let's just pray and stay optimistic that we can, as Bitcoin, be a light for the world. I agree. Seed, I would like to thank you from from the bottom of my heart again for 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 coming on. It was it was an absolute pleasure meeting you last month at the Bitcoin Conference Amsterdam. Um, I've been following you for 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 quite some time now, and and you know getting to to meet you in person and speak, and, and today having you on the show, um, I'm I'm really honored, and and I'd love to have you back in in the future as 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 we and and Bitcoin progresses, and and we see what uncovers and what world we find ourselves in. Where where could we send our our listeners to follow you or or learn more about Seed Signer? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the invite today, and I it was a pleasure meeting you, and I look forward to more episodes of your pod and learning more about just the individual stories of all the people that that make up the Bitcoin space at large. If people are curious to learn more about Seed Signer. We have the marquee website at seedsigner.com. That may be a good place to start. You can also link to our GitHub repo from there, or if you do just a simple web search for Seed Signer, that's all one word, GitHub, you can find our repo that way. I'm on Twitter as uh, just Seed Signer is, is the profile that I operate there. We are not a company or anything like that. We are just a volunteer open source software project to build a Seed Signer, to learn more about it, to, to get access to the software, to find out what you need to, to acquire to build one yourself. You don't need to interact with us or pay anything to do that. Just visit our website. You can find out uh, what simple computer parts you need to build one. And you can also find out where you can either build the source code yourself or find a copy to download. And uh, I'm also on Nostr as well. I try to get to different Bitcoin conferences throughout the year. And uh, yeah, just feel free to Ping me on Twitter or also on Telegram at Seed Signer. I'm easy to get in touch with at, at all these different places. Amazing. Well, there you have it, guys. Go go ahead, check check out more and, and, and learn about Seed Signer. St- start building your own open source hardware wallet um, and, and, and start testing it for yourself. Once again, Seed, th- thanks a lot for taking the time. I'll let you go and, and enjoy Halloween with, with, with your family and, and, and children and ho- hope to speak to you soon, my friend. Enjoyed it so much. Thanks again. Very welcome. All the best.